hysteria, cynicism, scandal, and tweet storms. American politics right now is a hot mess. Political clashes are public, polarized, and prolonged. But if it feels like we're living through an ideological civil war, this experience is not unique to our time or to this country. But many younger Christians have been spared this cultural experience until now. So what does it mean for the church? How do we walk careful not to fan the flames of political animosity? And if we get embroiled in heated political debates online or even in face-to-face conversations with others, what is the cost on our evangelistic priorities in our culture? More generally, perhaps we should ask, are Christians too deeply embedded in American culture already, as some have recently suggested? I pose these questions to Dr. Don Carson, co-founder and president of the Gospel Coalition. From his home office, he shared with me his thoughts. Here's what he said. Well, that's a, a good but complex question. You're right, first of all, to point out that this has happened before. This is a particularly intense one. For example, during the first year and a half or so of the Second World War before America was involved, uh, after Pearl Harbor, there there was huge division in this country between those who thought that we should get into the war and those who thought we should not. And if Pearl Harbor hadn't happened, it's hard to imagine how uh, America would easily have got into the war. And and there have been other times that have been uh, equally polarized with no restraint whatsoever on the name calling and so on. So from an historical perspective, this is not unknown, uh, but it is particularly intense now, partly because of some of the personalities involved and uh, partly because the diverse political opinions are so convinced that uh, each is right. There, There is very little sort of even-handed weighing of things and a tradition now of polarization in Congress that um, means there are only winners and losers. Whereas uh, when Reagan was in power, for example, uh, although he was pretty much on the conservative side, he knew how to work with people from the opposite party. And and that sometimes assured that he was considered a compromiser by people on the right. But in fact, he got many things done and steered a whole country precisely because he knew how to win people. Whereas uh, as, as long as both sides are thinking almost exclusively in terms of winning and losing, then what you generate is uh, self-righteousness, fear, hatred, uh, conquest mentality, and not the kind of um, political compromise that actually gets things through um, both houses of, of, of Congress. So you combine that with uh, any any sort of narcissistic uh, uh, attitude, and uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to find leaders who are simultaneously strong and humble. That's part of the background in which we find ourselves. So uh, what would I say then to to Christians? Uh, First, uh, it really is very important to remember constantly that Christians don't live here, or we live here but don't belong here. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And um, the old Negro spiritual, I'm just crossing over Jordan. Uh, um, some people have charged those spirituals with a kind of escapism. I don't think it's escapism. I think that that view of the eternal realities that await us position us to relativize the absolutes of our day and position us to endure and grow strong. 
Um, if, if all you have to live for, if all that is valuable takes place uh, in the political world right now, then you understand why it becomes absolute. But if political issues are important because people are important and you want to do what's right and what's good and what's best for the country and for the world, for, for the people that you govern and so on, yes, that's, that's right. But if, if you also have this larger perspective that you want to get people ready to meet God and uh, that this life is not all there is, then, then that relativizes the intensity with which you have any right to invest your energy into the political process. I, I think that one of the good things that could come out of this is that some Christians, both on the left and on the right, have identified their Christianity with a particular political party. Uh, on the right, often in terms of freedom, uh, in, in terms of a certain vision of prosperity, uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the primacy of, of God-centered fear and so on. On the left, in terms of concern for the poor, uh, in terms of concern for social justice. Uh, again, on each side, as each side understands those terms. And um, if you identify your whole being with those ideals and then uh, produce policies that you think will bring them about, then the political voice that is heard from both sides is, follow my policies and we'll bring you to the promised land. Follow my policies and we'll have at last peace and justice and accord and maturity and so on in this land. And when each side talks of uh, learning, uh, learning to cooperate with me, what they mean is capsize your own views and just follow me. And um, uh, it's much more mature in a two-party democratic system to recognize that for the devout Christian whose ethical and moral cues are taken from Holy Scripture, um, no matter which party you align with, there are going to be some things you like and some things you don't like. Uh, even in the best of times, you sort of hold your nose a bit at this particular element of the party and versus that particular element of the party. And if you don't hold your nose, then, then probably your cue is being taken from the party rather than from Scripture. Um, scripture stands over against uh, all parties. And, um, and, and now because of the, uh, the shape of the argument today, uh, it's, it's probably easier to see that Christians to participate in the political system means that there is a little bit of holding your nose while you try to pursue the stance of the party that you think is going to do most good and least harm. And, um, and try to nudge the party toward a position that is more honorable and more, more God-fearing and, and, and so forth. The, the, the next thing that needs to be said is that as the culture itself becomes um, more distanced from any sort of Judeo-Christian heritage in the past, I mean, when, when I was a boy, uh, everybody knew the Ten Commandments. Uh, when I was a boy, Bible teaching in school was not uncommon. Um, and that was in Canada, which is now more secular than most, most, most of the U.S., and, and and today, the, the notion that your subdivision uh, had a lot of Christian values in it, it seems quaint, archaic, out of touch. And as a result, people have been advocating something that is increasingly called the Benedict Option. It's named after Benedict, who started um, an order, a monastery, and so on, uh, a kind of withdrawal from society to live differently. And 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 there is a sense in which every local church 
that is trying to square with Scripture is pursuing the Benedict option, although it's, it wouldn't want to name it that particularly. That, that, that is to constitute a culture that is a bit different. So we shouldn't be thinking exactly the same thing as the world around us about iPhones or Oscars or economics or you know, almost anything, uh, social, sexual, mores, what you do with your money, what advancement looks like, what success looks like, what human flourishing looks like. Um, what kind of jokes you listen to. There is a sense in, in which instead of having a Judeo-Christian heritage all around us in which we're, we're um, playing a slightly more righteous part and preaching the gospel, we're increasingly dealing with, especially in the most secular parts of the country, an essentially alien society. And, and then it's important for not just the individual Christian, but for the Christian church, the Christian community, to live differently. And, um, and that needs to be thought through and worked out much more systematically than it, than it has been. And then beyond all of that, the place of evangelism in all of this just cannot be lost. You cannot evangelize people you don't love, uh, whether they're from the opposite party or from the opposite gender uh, or from the, a, a different race or from a different religion, including Islam, we have to relearn the ability to disagree with people and, and still do it in such a way that we're not simply being rude and obstreperous and hate-mongering. And, um, and, and uh, that which we learn in evangelism needs to be suffused through all of our human relationships, including our political relationships, so that so that we are honorable people. We are not merely name-calling people. People, when we disagree with them, need to be aware that um, the, the, the Jesus who can denounce some people, as in Matthew 23, uh, because of the damage that they are doing, uh, yet it ends up at the end of the chapter weeping over the city. We must be known as people who weep over our Jerusalem. And, um, and, and that means uh, a certain humility of mind, a certain compassion, a certain eternal view um, absolutely convinced that the most good that we can ever do uh, to anyone, any family, is to lead them to Christ Jesus. And if, if even if we win all the political debates and lose that, um, all we're doing is guaranteeing a, 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 a self-righteous community that is on the brink of hell in any case. Uh, so first things first, first things first, and still maintain clarity and commitment to the gospel and to uh, the Christ of the gospel. Yeah, very good. We live here. We don't belong here. I love that. Amen. Briefly, uh, I'd like to underline something that you said or seem to imply in in what you just said. Uh, we have a form of the Benedict Option in play for us already. It's called the local church. It's a place where Christians pull away from the world for a time uh, to to gather as a society of fellow believers there to be recalibrated by God's word and to be spiritually recharged in order that we might re-enter uh, the world on mission. Is that essentially what you what you implied? That's exactly right. I mean, there's a sense in which the Benedict Option is being treated as something new, uh, but it's not. Even at sort of the social level, quite apart from from uh, distinctively evangelical commitments, there's a sense in which the Benedict Option is precisely what the Amish did. But but they did it in certain ways that that look to most of us like escapism, or so withdrawing from the world that you're not doing the world any good. Uh, whereas what we need are churches that are not following the diktat of of the world and its agenda and culture and, and entertainment modes and how you use cell phones and whatever. Um, uh, but but at the same time is engaged with the world. 
we we need to be different from the world but engaged with the world and and that's that's not comfortable but it seems to me essentially christian and it's what christians had to do in the first century the second century the third century it's what christians have done um, whenever the world has stand has stood over against it uh, but the church has maintained a commitment to the gospel and to evangelism yeah essentially christian amen thank you dr carson and uh, thanks for listening to this special episode of the ask pastor john podcast with guest Don Carson. It was made possible through Desiring God's partnership with our dear friends over at the Gospel Coalition. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening. John Piper will return tomorrow. We'll see you then.